Whoever you are, we welcome you. My name is Lisa Teal, and I am a lay ministry candidate for this congregation. And I'm joined today by a whole crew of folks, worship support, Margo Milsitich, Lori McGee, and Cal Fry, musical support, Chris Paget on cello, Sanis Parsons, and Vanessa Vesley. Today, we're gonna do things a little bit differently. We'll hear from a variety of voices And instead of meeting at the rear of the sanctuary like we normally do at the end of the service, we'll stay in here and continue with a little bit of song. We light this chalice within a community of care that teaches both movement and action and tranquility. Today's topic is particularly apt for me right now as last week we celebrated my son's graduation. Our family is preparing for big change. In fact, the topic is apt for all of us because in case you haven't noticed, our church community has gone through a lot of changes over the last 18 months or so and we'll probably continue to do so as we receive our new settled minister in a little over a month. I'm assuming he might wanna do things a little bit differently. It's also apt because we are all human and life is all about change. Ironically, change is the only constant. Some change we want, losing 10 pounds or winning the lottery, and other change we don't want. Yet imagine how our lives could be if we understood that the exact same dynamic principle was underlying them both. There's a Buddhist saying, are you the river or the rock? The rock is stuck and tries to resist movement and gets worn to a pebble. Yet the river follows the natural call of gravity. So each day when we awake, we should ask ourselves, how do I choose to live my life today? Am I the river or the rock? And let that guide your day. Come, let us worship together. Good morning. It's been a while since I've been in this church. Um, I'm happy to be here, happy Lisa asked me. Um, Some of you don't know me, it's Margo. I just want to say that change took me away. I started teaching a lot on weekends, so I had to kind of go with that. And um, here I am on a weekend because I don't have to be somewhere else. I'm very happy to be here. When is there not change? Never. This is a good use of the word never. There is never not change. I could more inaccurately say, I will never be an airline pilot. But the possibility of being an airline pilot is always there. I might learn to fly, though the probability diminishes with every decade. My eyes live in this body and my knuckles grip day-to-day utensils. With some degree of certainty, I can say I will never be an airline pilot. But with complete certainty, I can say there is never not change. Change is constant. 
My stability comes from that premise. If I'm ready for a shift in any moment, I can have my axis, my center, my ridge pole, my spine around which my life orbits. I could say all life orbits because the only life I'm seeing is mine. It's shared but intrinsically compacted with my perception and language. Whenever I assume I am objective about this all life, I look for cracks I know are in my lenses. My astigmatism, my myopia, my floaters, my fears, and my paranoia and prejudices. Change comes continually regardless of my position. I have no option but to create a safe stability, some kind of haven, however made of straw and sticks, for myself, my loved ones, for those I serve as teacher, now, the real helpful change is always slow. Here is my always that counters the never. In change will never not happen. I will always be witnessing change whether I like it or not, as Lisa just said. If I prefer to only accept changes that are to my liking, I lose my ability to witness life. I have narrowed my lenses and added blinders, so I try to avoid caving into my, my myopia, my closed vision. I strive to include my myopia, which will be there, in a larger vision. And here we arrive at the always of slow change, always widening my vision. Always I need open the sky and let the wind of change pass through, capturing sensation, impulses of energy, summations in language, questions in my gut, and inklings of possibilities. From a position of witnessing, change is all there is. And my life is relatively stable. I have a husband of 42 years, a nice home, grown sons, their families living near enough to visit without troubling with air travel or a Winnebago. I have lawn to mow, wood to burn, gas to waste, perennials to enjoy. Moss grows on my rocks. Roses bloom well enough without pesticides. But there's no safety in these. They fluctuate wildly with drought, rain, small successes and bigger disappointments, leaning fences, marauding deer, the discomfort of truth, saying too much and offering too little. From this vantage point of me observing carefully the ever-changing all life, appreciation, gratitude, careful weighing of options, tenacity and patience all help. So I learned this struggle, which hasn't ended, the hard way. <clears throat> the rug was pulled out from under me when I was 17. Brothers off to college, dad left home when I was away for the summer, mom shut down. Boarders came to live with my mom and I. My paternal grandparents died within six months. Their two houses sold, one an ancestral vacation home. I needed to go to college, but I could not focus. My life as I knew it dissipated. Anxiety, confusion, and depression came to stay, and I was 17. In 1972, during this time of heightened confusion due to change, when my grandfather and I last met, he was sitting up in his large mahogany bed, his deathbed, and he asked me how I was. I'm not doing well, I said. He looked at me peacefully and replied, 
Maybe that's good. Maybe he was right. Over the next few years, as part of my search for stability, I purchased a copy of the Bhagavad Gita and read the simple words, the self. I wanted one. Thus I began to put the pieces of my life back together and knew them as me that could not be so easily unraveled. The unraveling was quick. The suturing was slow. Slow, gradual change over time and many adventures brought integration and wholeness, what yoga calls the self. Will the ushers please come forward? Today, we have a special collection for Love Light, Inc., a local outreach organization devoted to nourishing children. In the summertime, Love Light provides free nutritious lunches for low-income children in Kent. Music that we'll sing together. You can sing and at the same time as the offertory is about the community that we have. Uh, when the night is come. And I'm the kind of musician where if you don't know the words, you can make up your own or just hum along. And any harmony is welcome. When the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see. Now I won't be afraid, no, I won't be afraid. Just so long as you stand, stand by me. So darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Oh, stand, stand by me, stand by me. If the sky that we look upon should tumble and fall, or the mountains should crumble to the sea, I won't cry, I won't cry, no, I won't shed a tear, just so long as you stand, stand by me. So darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Oh, stand, stand by me, stand by me. So darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Oh, stand. When the night has come and the land is dark and the moon 
is the only light we'll see. No, I won't be afraid. No, I won't be afraid. Just so long as you stand, stand by me. So darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Oh, stand, stand by me, stand by me. So darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Oh, stand, stand by me, stand by me. Let us join in the spirit of prayer. Spirit of life, sustain us. Help us to be fully present in our lives, to be awake to each and every breath with an inner fire burning brightly with compassion, courage, and love. And now let us stay in the space of shared silence for a few moments. And close your eyes if you're comfortable or look softly downward. And we'll spend a few moments just watching our breath. Our breath is a perfect example of how change is so necessary. Our life-sustaining breath cannot remain in one phase. Notice within the inhale lies the seed that naturally gives way to the exhale. And in the exhale lies the seed that flows right into the inhale. And the cycle continues.
The sound of the cello is, to me, like musical honey. And it just so happens I want to talk about honey first. I like honey. I don't like it when honey drips on the outside of my honey pot. And when I allow others to get honey for their tea, I watch carefully. (laughs) Spooning honey comes in two styles, dip and wait, which is really dangerous, dip and twirl, and then the non-spooners who tip, pour, and twirl, and then tip, pour, swipe, and lick. (laughs) Now, children have no style because they have not developed that yet. It develops later in life, and care and observation are required, right? A great deal of the change we are encountering now in the environment I'm jumping to my favorite topic, has come because of excess. In one form or another, waste and greed, lack of care, minimal observation of cause and effect, the inability to curb appetites and rationalization of all kinds. Good change requires observation of variables, waiting and making choices with the intention to follow through with them. So let's call the opposite of care and observation excess. And the cost of excess is excess. So let's look at another food, whipped cream. (laughs) Whipped cream is a luxury that is inherently unstable. Fresh milk left out to separate into milk and cream can stay out for a day or two. It's quite stable, actually. And then if you make it into yogurt, that's stable. doesn't spoil right away. It's more resistant to spoiling. It even requires warmth to culture. And then you can take the yogurt, as they do in India, and churn it and make butter, which stays somewhat stable. And then after that, you make clarified butter or ghee, which is completely stable. It it requires no refrigeration. So you can go through these changes one to the next. Without refrigeration, milk can transform from one phase to the next and gradually be consumed with no spoilage. Whipped cream spoils quickly. So the makers of ReadyMip, Whip, solved this problem by adding ingredients to stabilize the cream and store it in a cooled, pressurized can with a plastic nozzle so it's ready. And when finished, can is tossed. Cool Whip can go in the freezer, which uses energy, whipped and ready to be spooned, and comes with a convenient plastic tub that can possibly be used for leftovers, unless, of course, you don't like to use plastic and you need to toss the plastic tub so you can use glass containers with secure lids that are dishwasher safe, which also uses energy. Clearly, these extra steps required to make a luxury item convenient are excess. We know this. In my family, when I make whipped cream, we consume all of it right away. Whether you want it or not, eat more. (laughs) Beat it, it's noisy, eat it. So nature responds to our frivolity and the cost of excess is excess. I know I preach to the choir, but I'm gonna give you another factoid here. 93% of bottled water has floating plastic particles in it, theorized to come from lid application procedures. 
Did some of you hear that news also? It's like, wow, we're drinking little plastic beads in our purchased plastic bottled water. We have now entered an era that may look back on the order of seasonal changes and relegate it to a time of myth. After winter ended in April this year, we've been battered by pollen and tree debris with the explosion of CO2-fueled spring. The ocean pumps are slowing, storms are increasing. We may not scratch our heads in puzzlement, but what are we doing? I know I feel helpless, but what am I doing? I'm forced to adapt and change. I'm forced to change and forced to adapt. Interestingly, that requires finding the core strength to observe how to adapt and to resolve to do so. And we have to understand the threat of subtraction, the quality of life, things not as we wish, sudden reversals, airline flights canceled, and realize that we're real, there really is no reduction with subtraction. This kind of subtraction is a zero-sum game. No one is adding while we subtract. The zero, the null set, comes our, becomes our place of pure observation, acceptance, and finding the integrity to feel how our individual integrity is not the issue. It is merely the call to the challenge of care and observation. I don't like living with myself either. <laughs> so Sanus is going to lead us in a sacred song circle style. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Or hum, 
I will be reading Lori's reflection today. She double booked herself and is upstairs teaching RE about her trip to Oz. <laughs> so these are not these are Lori Fanchet McGee's words. There are enough aphorisms about change to fill an entire service. Be the change you wish to see in the world, Gandhi. It is not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change, Charles Darwin. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced, James Baldwin. Progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything, George Bernard Shaw. But perhaps my favorite is by the ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus, change is life's only constant. The truth of this statement speaks for itself. I've experienced many changes in my life, just like most people, growing up, having kids, moving, changing jobs, and other typical life events. Some changes were better than others, and some were expected, some were not. Nothing could have prepared me, however, for the biggest change I had yet to experience. As many of you know, my spouse of 21 years moved out of our home at the beginning of May. It was very unexpected and not at all desired on my part. For the first few weeks, my emotions were raw. I just couldn't believe this was happening. To make matters worse, I had many new responsibilities on my shoulders that my spouse and I had previously shared. Every day brought something else that I had to take care of, and the burden became almost too much to bear. In spite of the pain and grief, I pressed on, telling myself to notice the small moments of joy and happiness when they came. One of the worst parts of the whole ordeal was telling my granddaughters about the breakup. There were many tears and even more questions, some of which I didn't have answers to. They are still struggling with this situation, but they get to see both of us and it helps a great deal. I know in time they will understand, but I hate the fact that they've been hurt over this. My wounds are still very fresh, but each day seems to be better than the last. I know it's going to take a long, long time to truly feel like myself again. Being alone is a new experience for me. I'm learning new skills like money management and trying to figure out what my needs and wants are as an individual. The terrain is unfamiliar and difficult, but I'm navigating it with the help of family, my therapist, and dear church friends. I hope in time I'll be able to look back and see the positives in this circumstance. For now, I will keep moving forward, adjusting to my new normal, and noticing joy when I find it. So in the spirit of change, we're doing something different today. Besides... Every moment is changing. Uh, Our responsive reading is going to be responsive singing. So there's a simple melody, simple words. And that was Lisa's idea. She actually told me to do this. (laughs) It's kind of like the whipped cream event, you know. (laughs) So the words are in your order of service. It's called Change is a Changing. Because I realized when this, I love the environment. And when the seasons are out of kilter, I realize even change itself is changing. 
people used to measure, measure change by the seasons. And it's, it's not a measuring stick anymore. So here we go. This refrain, every time you see refrain, is sung twice. Uh, I welcome you to sing whatever words you like and whatever notes you like. Changes, 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 changing. Changes, 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 changing. Try it. Changes, 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 changing. Changes, 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 changing. Let me tell you about change. There's a thing about change. Even change can change. And change is changing now you, no matter who you are. No matter where you are. No matter what you like. Change is changing. They say a woman changes like the weather changes. I think it's change, it changes. It's changing now. Our children change in a big old range like climate change. Everything changes and sing it. Changes, it changes, it changes, it changes. 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 We want things the same. We like to sing a refrain. But when that gets boring, Rewrite more verses. Our hemlines change. Our bust lines change. In our cell phones change. Our nickels are thinner. Briar's ice cream smaller. But got more apps for dinner. Fashionistas. And foodie feasters, we change the day to Easter, cause we're all about change. Changes, it changes, it changes, it changes. Changes, it changes, it changes, it changes. Changes, it changes, it changes, it changes. Let's sing this together. Let's dance it now. Let's chance it now. Let's bring on the change. Change will be changing. Let's dance it now. Let's chance it now. Let's bring on the change. Change will be changing. Changes, it changes, it changes, it changes. Changes, it changes, it changes, it changes. Changes, it changes, it changes, it changes. Changes. 
Amen. So change is life's only constant. My example in this is probably considered at best spare change. Um, I've been pretty lucky, uh, actually, in that the changes that I have gone through have not been uh, as dire, as deep, um, or as harmful as many others, but there's still a couple of things that I've learned that I would like to share with you. Um, ever since I can remember, through my childhood, I wanted to be a scientist. And actually most of that was I wanted to be a nuclear physicist. It was the atomic age, you know. We had atomic fireballs and atomic diners and, you know, all of this sort of thing. And I was enamored with it. And I so wanted to do that. I came to Kent State. I majored in physics. And I'd been working along for a couple of years. And, you know, it just wasn't quite right. And... I really had a hard time my junior year because I realized that this path that I had been set on for 10, 12 years, think about that, this is my junior year in college, I've been working on this for a long time and it wasn't gonna work. And I didn't know what to do. But I am an experimentalist. And so while I was casting about looking for things to be interested in, I discovered that the part that I really enjoyed about what I was doing was teaching more than the solitary life in the laboratory uh, doing research. And so I wandered off and I got an education degree, among other things, wound up teaching. At one point I was looking for a job and got a job with my physics background, got a job teaching anthropology <laughs> at the Natural History Museum in Cleveland, which was delightful and inspirational because after a number of years of that, I went back to graduate school for a degree in paleontology and Almost got a doctorate in that. I reached a point where when I was looking for jobs, I discovered that the competition for my tiny little field was pretty overwhelming and I changed careers yet again and uh, have been pushing electrons through computer chips of one sort or another for the last couple of decades instead. At any of these points, it could have gone pretty sour. I could have been so caught up that I wouldn't know where to go next. I have been actually pretty lucky in that I've had tremendous support. Phyllis and I celebrated our 38th anniversary this week. And while I was messing around all that time in graduate school, she was the one who was 
keeping the lights on and the bills paid, and um, I am grateful for that. That's one part of stability, I suppose, that we can come from with that. But uh, actually, I have a lesson uh, to share with you that I learned in field camp in geology in the Black Hills of South Dakota. We were cast out uh, to map a pretty broad area, and mapping in that case means we have a map, but on this map we are superimposing the layer of what rocks are located where and determining from that some sort of cross-section of what the Earth looks like in this region. Now, this involves t crossing a lot of territory, looking at a lot of rocks, and one of the things that I came across was a, a scree slope, which is basically as the hillside above starts to break apart, shards of rock cascade down, and there's this big slope of these shards at the base of the cliff, and where I need to be is on the other side. Well, these things are resting on each other, but the minute you put any weight on them, they slide out from underneath your feet down the hill. How do you cross something like this? You dance, my friends. You dance. As long as you're in the air, you're not falling. Each foot strikes the rock and bounces off. The rocks cascade down underneath your feet, but your feet aren't resting on them anymore. You're moving on to the next step. And we danced our way across these slopes. And I have all my fingers and toes to show that I was successful. But you can do this partly while you're dancing by trying to see where you're going to go. Each step in my shifting path where things could have been tumbling out from underneath my feet, there was something that, well, maybe that first time it was such a blow that it took me a whole year to see, to learn to see where I needed to go. Some of the changes that I have made and the career paths that I have taken have been fairly clear. At least I describe one of them as being, well, I just turned my hobby into my vocation and managed to keep on going. But I could do that because I could see where the possibilities were and learned at, a, at that early time to try to keep all of those possibilities active. Keep them as possibilities. You never know where that foot is going to have to land in the dance as you walk, make your way across. So I want to echo some of the phrases we've heard earlier. Always widen your vision to see what the possibilities are, to see where you might have to go should change lead you in that direction. I almost threw this whole talk out 
and brought in a reading that I uh, came across yesterday um, in the most recent uh, issue of American Scientist um, because I may I was reading excerpts of it to Phyllis because I said this is you know a scientific magazine and I found a piece of real poetry and real beauty and I'm, I butchered it a bit because I'm going to end with this the article is by Gene Tracy and his title is Learning to See in Planets and Perception Tracy says the astronomy historian William Sheehan notes that a good way to reveal what, that we don't understand something is to attempt to draw it. Hence his interest in the early sketches by telescopic observers of the moon, Mars, and the rings of Saturn. What aspects in the visual field that they could see were most essential? What pieces among the collection of edges, shapes, and textures connected to one another in sensible structures? What was closer and what was farther away? What was shadowing and what was coloration? Until Galileo arrived to answer many of these questions, astronomers struggled to interpret their nightly visual experience. Galileo himself was baffled by the rings of Saturn. He described them in one note as handles on the planet. And he was trying to make sense of what he saw. But he, where he was prepared, Tracy suggests one reason Galileo saw mountains on the moon where previous astronomers had seen only spots and specks is that Galileo was experienced in the developing art of painting in perspective, a style that hadn't yet influenced artists in England. In this way, he had learned to see in a different way than before. And that experience prepared him to see these specks on the moon and see it as a round object with mountains. This iterative spiral of learning to see, then seeing to learn, continues on and on. But in the four centuries since Galileo bent to look through his glazed optic tube, the human brain has not changed all that much, if at all. This is both the curse and the blessing of our time. When it seems as if we've learned nothing through the brutal centuries. Nothing since 1933, perhaps. It's good to know we have the same brains Galileo had. The task for all of us is simply to learn to see to see the potentials of a new career, to see the strengths of a new community and where we might fit in and help out, to see the suffering of others and where we might be able to ease that, even if just a little. That's our task. The world is infinite in all directions and we may never be enough to grasp the whole of it. 
That's an open-ended project for the human species. Let's hope that we were always like Galileo, setting up his telescope for a night's viewing, prepared to be astonished, ready to see in new ways, our minds like tinder waiting for the spark. Our closing words are from Agnes DeMille. Living is a form of not being sure, not knowing what next or how. The moment you know how, you begin to die a little. The artist never entirely knows. We guess. We may be wrong, but we take leap after leap in the dark. May you all leap as best you are able. Amen. And blessed be. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. fly away when the shadows of this life have grown I'll fly away like a bird from prison bars has flown I'll fly away